Hey, welcome back to a brand new episode of Mike and Delic. I am, of course, Mike Brancatelli, the same guy that says the same thing all the time in the intro to the show that you probably have been listening to for a while. But if you haven't and you're new, welcome. I'm Mike. This is Mike Delic. And thanks for being here. Thanks for checking out the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for partaking in this conversation. If you enjoy what you hear, subscribe. Subscribe on your app, whatever you listen to. Tell people about it. Share it. That would be much appreciated. Or do whatever you want. You know, don't listen to me. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You know, maybe maybe you're listening right now and you're like, oh, this sucks. I'm going to turn this off. Okay, that's cool. You can do that. But uh, But stick around because this conversation was awesome. I had a conversation with Danielle and Seth from the San Francisco Psychedelic Society. And I just realized there's a lot of s in there. The San Francisco Psychedelic Society. Uh, but that's good. That's a good thing. It's alliteration, right? Isn't that something like that? Maybe it's not alliteration. I don't know. But it's smooth. So, and they are too, two smooth individuals. Uh, and we got into a, a great conversation and, and it was just a, a lot of fun to connect with them. I hope to meet them in the physical three-dimensional reality space one day because uh, we recorded this remotely. And I, I don't really, I mean, you know, I have to do remote podcasts, but I, I prefer to do them in person. And I will say uh, that the audio quality that you're hearing of me right now is not going to be the same for this podcast episode. Uh, I have been experimenting with different remote recording things, and one of them that I've been using, Zencaster, has been working pretty well, uh, and I had my settings all set. Everything was the same that I always do, but for some reason it didn't pick up my audio from this microphone. So it's just going to be a little lesser quality than the quality you're hearing now and I apologize for that I am you know doing the best I can running this whole thing myself working other you know day jobs and and stuff so but with that being said I am going to figure this problem out in 2020 and make sure that I get a clean clear crisp always high quality connection all the time. It seemed like it was just a fluke because I had the settings set the way that it always was and it just didn't pick it up as it normally would have picked it up. So I don't know what. I sent them an email, haven't heard back, but um, other people have reached out and made suggestions to try other things like Squadcast or Clean Feed or there's a number of other things. So I'm going to look into that and make sure that this doesn't happen again. But having said that, the content is incredible. So if you can stick around for the content, please do. And you know, I guess I'm making it sound like it's like really terrible. It's just not the quality that you're used to. It's not the quality that this is coming through as. It's just a little less. So anyway, thank you. Uh, I just felt like I needed to get that out there. I owe it to you guys to be transparent and say that. Please don't, you know, write like, this podcast sucks. Quality sucks. This is a um, not a consistent thing. This is a, a fluke thing. So uh, thank you for uh, being the awesome human beings that you are that want to stick around and hear the amazing conversation that I had with Seth and Danielle from the San Francisco Psychedelic Society. The San Francisco Psychedelic Society is a Bay Area organization. They're devoted to weaving community with people from all walks of life who share an interest in the exploration of altered states of consciousness. And that's, you know, that's their thing. They provide community and support 
integration uh, and resources for people who are seeking harm reduction, spiritual growth, personal development. Um, they hold so many events. They're active on social media. They're always putting out really, really cool things. And they really stand for emphasizing access without dogma and for the destigmatization of all drugs, all drugs. And we talk about that in this episode. And uh, the current leaders of the organization are uh, Seth Warner and uh, Danielle Negrin and Damla Gungor. I hope I pronounced that right. Sorry if I didn't. Uh, but they also mentioned that there's more. There's other people too that are there. Uh, so you can find them at psychedelicsocietysf.org. Like I said, they're on Instagram and Facebook and everything like that too. So go check them out. Uh, they're really cool people. They're doing some really cool things and they want you guys to get involved. So uh, reach out to them, get involved, show up to their events and meetings. They put on so many cool ones. I mean, just so they're just, yeah, I'm just like in awe of what they're doing. Uh, and like I said, I can't wait to meet them in the three-dimensional physical meet reality <laughs> space. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, it's always good to get together with other people and be in their physical presence. And I'm not too far away. So we're going to make that happen. I think that would be cool. Maybe a live podcast. Stay tuned. I think there's going to be a lot of stuff going on in 2020 like that. I have some big vision. I've always had big vision, but, you know, I've wobbled between despair, depression, isolation, and coming back to hope and purpose and meaning. And, you know, people that have been listening to this show from the beginning fucking know the journey that I've been on. So, um, yeah, I, uh, but, you know, I'm feeling like I'm healing more and I'm healing more and I'm able to offer more. And because I'm healing more, I want to offer more. And 2020 is going to be a year filled with awesome psychedelic stuff coming at you. Live things, video things, mouth noise things, lots of things. Uh, so stay tuned for that. So, re so we talk a little bit in this, uh, in the beginning of the podcast episode, I mentioned uh, about a psychedelic society. I was on a panel the other week about talking with uh, Good Cinema and their Gaia movie presentation of a psychedelic society. Um, and I'll be talking tonight at Archipelago in Denver uh, about the, uh, about surviving progress, right? So I'm going to get all civilized to death about this stuff. I mean, really two people that have like catapulted my thinking. Uh, a lot has been Chris Ryan and Charles Eisenstein. So, um, you know, this and, and, and others, but the, the, they're the two that are coming to the top the most and, uh, really kind of a lot of the things that I've been, been, been concerned about and, and talking about. So yeah, recently I made a post on my Mike Adelic page about, uh, homelessness and, um, <laughs> I mean, man, it's kind of about a lot of things. It's about, basically it's about the dominate game, the, 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 the one all-encompassing system in which we find ourselves in, led by a few different things, mainly the sole monetary system that we must conform under to be producers and consumers in this world, to, to have... To, to have value as a life form, uh, the dominator game 
asks us to convert our most precious resources that we have, our time, energy, and attention, into paper that can be exchanged for goods and services. And this is, uh, you know, this, this creates a, a, this is a major problem. It creates this separation, this isolation, this transactional relationship. We see people as being valuable only by what they're producing or what they are contributing in the, within the confines of this dominant economic, this sole dominant economic model. Right. So I, I am, as longtime listeners of the show know, I am a big fan of localization, diversity. You know, what other kinds of ways can we relate to each other? What other kinds of ways can we function in this world that are outside of this model? And, you know, we see things happening, uh, you know, like co-ops and things like that. Uh, the Denver Mushroom Cooperative just launched and uh, we had our first meeting on Monday of this past week. So check out the Denver Mushroom Cooperative. There's a video of the meeting going around uh, with my good friend, uh, Travis Tyler Fluck, who was the, one of the heads of the de- decriminalization of mushrooms in Denver, the Decriminalized Denver campaign, and now is spearheading the uh, Denver Mushroom Cooperative. Uh, and he's going to be on the show soon to talk about that too. So really excited about that. But uh, yeah, it's, there's, the, you know, the, the post was about these things, and I also did a, a, a podcast about it. And the other part of the equation is, you know, the, the ability that we have as human beings to choose what we want to see in the world, which, where does that come from? Well, I believe that it comes from a belief. I believe that it comes from a sense of feeling and knowing, and then believing in that feeling and knowing, and then joining with others that believe in that feeling and knowing, and not giving ourselves away and trading our time and trading our freedom for, uh, out of fear to conform to the one dominant hegemonic empire that wants to tell us what we can and can't do and can and can't say and can and can't be. And, you know, this, you know, this one system that, that says conform or die, obey or suffer, you know, and it's an illusion. Uh, it is an illusion. The, their legitimacy to hold authority over us is nothing more than an illusion. It is very real in the sense that they have all the money and the guns and the weapons and the rules and the laws and the prisons and the cages and all that kind of stuff. But what happens when we say we won't tolerate this anymore? You know, we we do not acknowledge your legitimacy to rule. We do not acknowledge it. We are choosing new ways. So I talk about this in the post. I talk about this kind of one dominant economic system and the one dominant uh you know, paradigm of control that uh, asks us to conform and obey and these sorts of things. And I've talked about this stuff so many times, but I love talking about it and there's always more to share. So I released a a Patreon only episode. You can access that by going to patreon.com slash Mike Brank and you can donate as little as a dollar a month, $2 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month, $20 a month, $100 a month, whatever you want. Anything you do uh, is much appreciated. Like I said, I'm, I'm just a guy, independent creator, 
you know, doing stuff, working other jobs, trying to just do the thing that I love and spread this out there. So uh, do what you can. If you love the show, if you like to get access to bonus content and merch and things like that, and join the Mikeadelic Inner Sanctum, connect with all kinds of people that are chatting about this, these topics and sharing trip reports and stories and sharing openly and vulnerably in a, a safe uh, container called the Mikeadelic Inner Sanctum sanctum whatsapp chat group you can get access to all that by going to patreon.com slash mike brank if you're interested in cbd check out hemp bombs go to hempbombs.com give them a check out give them a look scan them up and down and say hey that looks cool i don't know maybe uh and if if you like it you're interested put in the code mike 15 you get 15 percent off if uh yeah the best way to do it if you just don't have any money or whatever you, you know just go to um uh, Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating. You don't even have to write a review. If you write a review, I love it. But you know what to do. If you love something, you don't need someone else to tell you what to do. So just do what you feel in your hearts that you wish to do. Uh, and that's that's what I do. I do uh, what's in my heart that I feel the best to do. And that's what I've, that's what, that's what's been keeping me going doing this podcast this whole time. It's just this the, the messages that I get from you guys and you know the, the feeling in my heart to, to, be, to be compelled to share, to speak. Even if other people are more credentialed or whatever, you know, speaking about this stuff, or maybe it's like repetitive or cliche, but I just feel called to do it. So thank you. Thank you, everyone. And I'll probably be releasing a episode, a solo cast about my personal journey through this past year, kind of ending the year and recapping. I've had a lot of things happen uh, in my life, my personal life that I'll share about. All right, without further ado, let's get in this awesome conversation with my two new best friends. <laughs> uh, no, two people that I really feel like I connected with a lot. Uh, they're just, uh, they're really awesome. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation too. Like I said, audio quality is going to be a little lower, but the content is incredible. So stick around, listen to the whole thing, and I'm sure that you're going to love it just as much as I did. Without further ado, Seth and Danielle from the San Francisco Psychedelic Society. Psychedelics are illegal not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. Yeah, so I w- I'd like to do, yeah learn a little bit about you guys and and you know psychedelic society, and then I would like to talk a little bit about a psychedelic society. I was just on a panel this past week where the theme was a psychedelic society, 
last night at the Denver Psychedelic Club. We talked about what does a psychedelic society look like. So this has been kind of floating around in the air. And uh, and that's, you know, I think that would be a good point of uh, discussion. What do you guys think? Definitely. And I'm excited to hear about that panel. Cool. Awesome. So, Danielle, Seth, thank you for joining me. And uh, you are from the San Francisco Psychedelic Society. And what a pleasure to have you both on the show. So uh, before we started recording, I was just asking, like, yeah, how many of, of you are there? And you were saying about seven or eight. So uh, that's that's really fantastic that you have that, that crew going. Tell me a little bit about your journeys getting to uh, building the Psychedelic uh, Society of San Francisco, San Francisco Psychedelic Society, rather. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, whoever wants to, to go first uh, can, can start chatting and a little bit about maybe your your personal journey and what led you to, to creating this beautiful community project that you have. Yeah, thank you, Mike, for having us on the show. So I'll kick us off. Um, the Psychedelic Society was founded in 2010 by a man named Daniel Jabor, who passed away a couple years after he founded the Psychedelic Society. And it was the first Psychedelic Society to be founded um, anywhere in the world. He passed away from an opiate addiction. And then it um, s- several different people took the leadership over the years. And um, there w- weren't many people that fully were able to commit to the project. And a couple of us two years ago uh, answered a call um, on Facebook. The Psychedelic Society was looking for new leadership, and we stepped up. There were three or four of us at the time, and um, we just kind of stuck with it. And at that time, I was really struggling personally from coming off psychiatric drugs. I had been polydrugged since I was 16 years old on all different types of pharmaceutical medications like antidepressants and mood stabilizers, Adderall, Xanax, um, whole cocktails of medication and really struggled with addiction for over a decade and found tremendous healing and transformation with ayahuasca and 5-MeO-DMT and microdosing psilocybin. And um, at that time, I was still struggling, debilitated from getting off psychiatric drugs. And um, through my work with the Psychedelic Society, I was really able to heal myself as I was working with plant medicine and giving back to the community um, through acts of service. So that's been a huge part of my healing process has been with the society right now. Oh, wow, Danielle, as you say that, I, I'm like feeling that in, in my heart space, just Oh, I can relate because I I was I was on Adderall too, and man, what what a what a traumatic kind of you know situation to be in, being drugged and you know all these problems that can arise with that. Uh, I want to ask you what what led you to psychedelics. What was your first uh, kind of window where you saw maybe there's a way out? Um, I had been off the psychiatric drugs for like over nine months and in debilitating withdrawal syndrome from getting off of them. And I had been working with cannabis for a while and it was getting really expensive. I was on over a thousand milligrams of CBD a day just to somewhat get through the day. And I had a friend at that time that was working deep with ayahuasca and he recommended that I come into a ceremony. And at that point I had tried everything and, you know, I was just willing to try anything. And um, the first ceremony I had just completely snapped me out of withdrawal. 
and it didn't fix me at that time that I had to keep coming back and working with the plant medicine. But um, I've experienced tremendous healing with ayahuasca. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Oh, powerful. Yeah. Seth, how about, how about yourself? What, what's, what's gotten you to, to walking this, this path? Uh, you know, Mike, I feel like a lot of times people end up living the lives they do in like resistance to the life that they're born into. And for me, it was like when I was a kid, I just felt really isolated and I didn't feel like there's like really much meaning in my life. Um, kind of, that was true from, I mean, pretty young age until, uh, you know, after high school, I'm in college, same issues, like whatever, like, I don't really care about anything, have an identity of not caring about stuff. I'm just a cool guy. And, um, yeah, in college, I started, I started to study anthropology and like really saw how radically different people's lives are all around the world or even, even in my own society, even in America, or I grew up on the East coast near New York and I read some ethnographies about people living in Harlem in those areas. And it's just like, wow, okay, life is weird. And that excited me, but I knew that I was just surrounded by kind of like boring people and whatnot. So <laughs> yeah, that sense of isolation and some different things. Like I, I traveled abroad one summer, went to Spain, found myself working on a farm in the mountains of Spain in a place where everybody knew each other and everybody was stoked to hang out in the evenings and in the square. When I came back to the States, I was like hungry for that. And, uh, that led me on this crazy tour around the country, going to different eco villages and intentional communities. And, um, you know, I just had this mission, like, I'm going to go find the cool people. I'm just going to do it. And, uh, yeah, I got really inspired, man. Like as soon as I started that quest, like, you know, we had no money. We we're on bicycles going down the East coast and, uh, we're sleeping in parks and like in between places and just, you know, and then just staying as long as we could when we found a cool spot until we <laughs> kind of got the vibe, like, all right, we're, we're unwelcome now <laughs> move on and um that led to like going to some homesteads down in north carolina and, and all the while you know like since i was in high school like mushrooms had been kind of starting to influence my lifestyle and my patterns and i was smoking a lot of cannabis as well so those plant allies were kind of there for me and giving me some sort of like interest in life and uh you know, kind of get something to, to work on. So when, when my trip finally brought me out to the West coast, I uh, actually ultimately, we weren't looking for it at all, but figured out that like working with cannabis is an option. You could work on a, a cannabis farm. Like it blew my mind. It's like, we're going pro baby. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And then uh, one thing kind of led to another is in Santa Rosa started teaching, you know, I kind of left out some different aspects, but started teaching mushroom workshops in Oakland and they were just gourmet medicinal. And slowly people were just kind of telling me, you know, like, and, and this is on my quest for meaning, right? So people started telling me that like mushrooms have been changing their lives and people have been, you know, like gone from PTSD, like can't live, do anything debilitated and kind of out of the game to totally functional people and coming back and living their life. And, uh, I just heard that story so many times. I was like, all right, as sketchy as it is, I'm going to teach a mushroom, like a psychedelic mushroom cultivation workshop. Yeah. You know, I didn't really want to be that guy for numerous reasons, but yeah. I hear um, you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good yeah, for you for like, doing it. Yeah. 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 I stepped into it. And then after the first workshop, um, I got invited to, uh, the first psychedelic society meeting that Danielle was at as well. And like, and a couple other people from our team. And so just one person that came to the workshop and opened that door for me as I made that one decision. And, uh, yeah, it was really just kind of 
very graceful in that way. And I just kind of hesitantly raised my hand. Like, I guess I could maybe volunteer a little bit. <laughs> Two years later, it's like all I care about. Excellent. And, yeah. yeah. What part of New York are you from? Uh, I'm from Connecticut. I was just saying near New York. Oh, okay. Uh, New Haven area. New Haven area. Okay. Yeah. I'm originally from New York. Yeah. In Denver now. And yeah, we just, uh, the part of, uh, the, the Denver mushroom cooperative. So they kind of launched with their first meeting last night, big turnout. It was really great. You know, teaching people how to grow gourmet, medicinal mushrooms, all kinds of mushrooms. Um, and afterwards the psychedelic club of Denver met and pretty good turnout too. And, and so we were discussing, like a psychedelic society. And, uh, you know, I was talking about this on this panel the, uh, the other week as well. And yeah, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot here. It's like, we're, a lot of our stories are very similar. You know, we're looking, we're searching to find this kind of community, you know, something that makes sense to us. Like you were talking about Seth being in Spain and the people out in the square and all that kind of stuff. That's not really commonplace so much here. You kind of have to find it. You have to seek it. Right. Or maybe, yeah, it's really rare. Right, yeah, it's it's really rare, yeah, and yeah, obviously Danielle, with the, your whole you know story of, of of being you know on all these pharmaceuticals and everything, I mean, it's just uh, oh, you know, it's this mess that we find ourselves in, and and now we're kind of popping out of it, and people like like you guys are are kind of shining the light and bringing other people together. And I think that's what it's all about, you know. I think really, you know, finding the others, bringing people together in, in a, a space where they feel comfortable and safe to uh, talk about these things and explore and share and educate and just like commune with each other. And, and you know, so I'm, I'm wondering, yeah, uh, as this theme of like psychedelic society is popping up and seeing you guys are the San Francisco Psychedelic Society and you were involved in the decriminalization, decriminalized nature, Oakland uh, campaign as well. So, you know, huge congrats to you guys on that because that is just a massive win. And putting us another step forward to a psychedelic society. So I'm wondering what, what does it mean to you guys when you hear the term a psychedelic society? What does that look like? Um, you know, for me, it's like, I try to, I don't, I mean, okay. <laughs> for, the, for our society, one thing we definitely don't do is suggest that people use psychedelics. You know, we're not here to proselytize the use of these substances. Um, but we are here to support people who are in their process. And I think that like some of the one thing that I love about psychedelics is that there's so much focus, at least right now. And I think it's a lot of lessons that we've learned from messing up in the 60s and 70s or whatever. Um, it's just that, you know, we have a lot of this emphasis on like preparing for an experience, you know, being super present during an experience. And then integrating that experience afterwards through intentional practice and community, community often, you know, through conversation, excuse me, <laughs> through conversation. And uh, I think that a psychedelic society is a society that brings those values to the forefront of all the things that we do. And, you know, whether that's a yoga class or, you know, raising your kids or gardening or just being an upstanding citizen in other ways. Like it's, you know, for me, a spiritual path, a spiritual, or, you know, spiritual growth is really just about figuring out my boundaries and trying to push them to bring me to the person that I know I can be. You know? Yeah. And, and, and that's really simple, honestly. You know, it's just it takes consistent effort every day. 
and uh, to just be in a community of people that support that effort that people that we're making together collectively is like that's what I see as the psychedelic society. So it's not necessarily that people should be using psychedelics. It's that like the lessons from psychedelics can really inform how to live in society. And uh, that's my perspective at, at least. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Yeah. The psychedelic ethos. Yeah. And we're creating safe spaces for people to talk about drugs and consciousness. We don't think it's bad to talk about drugs. We welcome it and we destigmatize all drugs. And a lot of the emphasis we have on our psychedelic society here is kind of creating special, specialized groups for people so they feel safe to really share about their experiences. So we have integration circles where people can come and unpack their psychedelic experiences. We have support, therapeutic use, peer support groups for people that are specifically using psychedelics for OCD, PTSD, depression, anxiety, personal growth, spiritual development. We have our psychedelic recovery network for people using psychedelics for alcoholism, addiction, dependency to substances and behaviors. We're starting a queer integration circle, a people of flavor integration circle. Um, we're going to have a breathwork workshop. Seth teaches people how to grow mushrooms. And I imagine we're going to continue to build our programming and um, just to keep it really niche and specialized because the community is so large here so that people feel that they have a community that they can continue to come back to. Like we put on a lot of events, but we want to keep seeing the same faces at all of our events so people know that they have a village and um, a community, a reliable community here where they can um, really feel supported. And and with that, like all those smaller events, like, you know, hopefully each person feels like a part of this bigger collective because we also do a lot of larger events. So like we really want to, you know, in, in my personal perspective, it's like the best part of the event is like when it's over and people are just chatting with yeah. each other and they're like, ah, like that was so cool, like this or that, you know, obviously I love the events themselves, but like, wow, that's like where some magic can happen, where some new friendships can be formed. So to have all of these little groups happening and then for those people to feel, okay, cool, this little group's cool. Maybe I'll go to the bigger event too. And then that can like really hopefully inform like a bigger network of organic connection. Yeah. 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 One of the most amazing things that I've seen, uh, going to a lot of meetups and meetings and events um here in denver has been people coming out to these things that either have never had psychedelic experiences or maybe had one a long time ago and they're a little bit older sometimes much older than than me at least um you know in their 60s or 70s and they'll say, well, yeah, I just read Michael Pollan's book and, you know, you're out. Okay, cool. So you guys have been seeing this too. Yeah. Isn't that so great? Have you heard the word pollinators? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 This woman yeah. last night, she was like, oh, I'm 70 years old and I just uh, tried mushrooms for the first time. And she's like, you know, it was so amazing. And she's like, you know, you know, we were talking about the stigma and how to talk about this stuff with uh, family, friends, and you know. And she's like, I, I just, I don't care. She's like, I'm open. I'm, I'm honest about what I do because I'm 70. I don't care, you know. And I'm just like, well, that's a perfect attitude to have, you know. More of us can embrace kind of the that attitude. But sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's challenging. Do you guys see that same kind of thing where people are they're interested but they don't know how to talk about it, or maybe they're facing some resistance, or maybe even you yourselves on your journey were facing resistance 
Um, yeah, talk to me a little bit about about that kind of process. I guess the the sort of coming out of the psychedelic closet process, so to speak. Oh yeah, I I feel like we're seeing it in many of the events, especially the support groups. I'm seeing it a lot with, especially with the psychedelic recovery group. There's a lot of people that are coming from the 12 step tradition where psychedelics are banned, right? And yeah. uh, they've been struggling with addiction for decades and now they're, you know, depressed and psych meds aren't working anymore. And, you know, AA allows psych meds, but they don't allow psychedelics and people are finding healing with psychedelics and they can't talk about it in the 12 step room, but now we're creating safe spaces for them to come out and be like, you know what, I've been sober and continue to be sober from alcohol for 30 years, but I'm microdosing mushrooms and there's nothing wrong with that. And it's just gorgeous to be able to witness this opening and support these people through that it's just it makes this work worth it yeah yeah it does and it's it, it gets rid of that fear too and you can really kind of step more into to who you are i think you know i think it was rick doblin who first talked about that that it was very much like coming out of the um you know the the gay and lesbian experience of of like maybe the 50s or something and you know now or you know just like the that that kind of experience and how much of a challenge i mean it's still a challenge but how much of a challenge it was and is and and how that's similar to a psychedelic experience um so yeah having that support and having that community there and having that safe space is is super super important you guys you guys do um a lot of interesting guest speakers i saw recently i think did you recently have eric davis as a speaker or is he coming up it's coming up Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm super fascinated by his, his book and, uh, I haven't read it yet, but I told him I'm going to have him on the show as soon as I read the book. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to read everybody's books, but I really want to read that one. Uh, talk to me about some of the events that you, you guys have had, like some of the guest speakers that you had, uh, were there any moments that were truly magical for you? I'm sure there's a lot of them. Uh, but anything that comes to mind of some, some people that you've had come to present and some of the things maybe that they, they spoke about. Oh, dude, honestly, man, it's so hard to like pick it all apart and be like this moment, that moment, Um, you know, so much for me of like, the night is like, being a host, you know, I'm not really that present. But that being said, like, we just recently had a really great conversation with, um, oh, God. Uh, the executive director of Dance Safe, um, Mitchell Gomez. Mitchell Gomez. Oh, Mitchell! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh he's good. yeah, he's a good friend. He's yeah, a firecracker, and he's so fun, and he just has so much to say. And he, I think that everybody in that room had their perspective shifted a little bit when it came to like uh, legalization of psychedelics. Because I don't know about Denver, but out here, people are really conservative when it comes to like you know. We just had this whole thing with cannabis, and I'm sure it's not that different in Denver, where it's like. Uh, all this new tax code and regulation came out and basically kicked out all the mom and pops out of the system. And everybody's very resentful of that. Right. And everybody wants to see like psychedelics come to fruition in a way that is empowering to people, of course. So to see uh, that kind of vibe is very alive in the people that show better events. However, you know, he's saying really realistic things. He's talking about fentanyl and like it's in every drug, like people are taking Molly and they're, overdosing on fentanyl you know things like that and uh just how like having some true regulations you know that are really widespread where you can get really tested clean products like how are we going to do that you know bring to question like a lot of really important topics Mm -hmm. and uh, 
I just love the work that Dance Safe is doing as well. I feel like they're underrepresented in the community overall, and it was just great to hear from him. And yeah, I won't take, I won't hog the mic. <laughs> Something that's really unique about where we're at right now is just the location. Like we have Maps is here, so we have a lot, a lot of access to Map speakers, and Shakruna is here, and we do a lot of partnerships with Shakruna Institute, and they bring in phenomenal speakers, and um, just the access that we have to all these incredible Bay Area heads is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, one of my favorites was Dr. Martin Terry. Ooh. He's uh, the only person in the world that has a permit by the DEA to cultivate peyote. and transport it and he is just like first of all such a gem of a person such a sweet guy and um, just a wealth of knowledge and brilliant and there were several people on the panel that kind of put decriminalized nature in check um, talking about the you know issue with sustainability around peyote and there's just a lot of conscious conversation that's happening here that's really helping us move the needle forward in a progressive helpful way for our community and we're hoping to uh, eventually build sort of a mycelium network where we can have a speaker come share in our community and then we can plug that speaker into all the psychedelic societies throughout the world so we can share our content open and freely Amazing. Yeah. Um, did you say that, uh, put, put them in check decriminalized nature? Is that what you yeah. said? Oh, mm-hmm. okay. What, what can you ex- kind of like uh, expand on that a little bit? What, what do you mean by that? Um, there was some anger and frustration from the peyote community and native American church around, okay. uh, peyote being included in the decriminalization initiative of decriminalized nature and since then it's been taken out in the future initiatives that are spreading across the u.s um, but they were really frustrated that peyote was included and it's because it's it's unstable and it's that it needs to be protected i it's see just like a scarce resource that even people in the native american church who you know it's kind of like their birthright in a, in a big way like they're just, you know, we've we heard from the people in the church and it's just like from when they were kids to today, like it's just a dwindling resource and like they can't even get enough of it. You know, when they were kids, it was like abundant in a way. Um, but now it's like they, they really can't even do a ceremony or a full ceremony oftentimes. And they're very frustrated about that. And they themselves can't cultivate. And it seems like there's a lot of resentment around like, okay, now like a bunch of people in Oakland can grow peyote, but this is my birthright. And I don't even have the legal access to cultivate it. You know, and there's just a lot of issues around around um, ownership, I think, and, and possession or of, of the plant itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as as we expand and move forward into unfolding into more of psychedelics being a part of society and um, we do run into a lot of these issues. And I know that's the case with ayahuasca as well. You know, that there's a concern about the the growth of ayahuasca takes a very long time to, to grow and and the you know preservation of that and um yeah, there's, there's so many issues around that. And then there's other issues that, that come up too when, you know, we talk about these things being decriminalized or legalized. And then what does that look like? And, you know, uh, you have places like Compass Pathways and, you know, all these other kind of like big money investors like looking to sort of get in on it. And I see articles all the time like, oh, you know, there's, there's this happening and there's this happening and it's, uh, there's, 
people that maybe have never even been a part of psychedelics, but they see an opportunity to, to kind of capitalize on a, on a, what they would call like a trend or something that's going to blow up and be a good, you know, financial market to get into, you know? So yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Like what, what do you guys see or what are your, what are your perspectives around this, this sort of thing? I, I, I'll just say real quick, I, I really love, um, uh, the way that David Nichols uh, puts it, where he calls it the commodification of, of the sacred that, that really kind of resonates for me. Uh, I'm wondering what you guys think about that. I I first think that decriminalization and medicalization can and should coexist at the same time. I think that there's many people that are going to feel more grounded in having their first psychedelic experience at a doctor's office and only want to trust a doctor or a nurse to give them a psychedelic. I personally have a lot of trauma from the Western medical system and have done my own healing work and think that it's important to have access to indigenous ceremonies, to be our own healers, to have our own ceremonies, be able to cultivate our own medicine. Um, so I would like to see these two systems coexist and for us to be able to support each other. Um, an issue I do have with the uh, medicalization, specifically Compass Pathways, is that the therapists that are being trained are not required to ever take a psychedelic medicine and it's like uh, how are you going to really fully be able to support someone through an experience if they've never taken a medicine it's like guiding someone through an airplane flight with having no pilot instructions at all Mm -hmm. um only reading about it so i have a kind of an issue with that um yeah yeah, I think uh, I think I remember Terrence McKenna saying something like, uh, "It's like going to a sex therapist who's a virgin." You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great. Quote. That's so I'm good. I'm gonna start using that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, on the on the flip side, like I, I pretty much am in agreement with what Danielle just said. And when I think about the future and how we like lay out the landscape, um, I do think that there's like a bit of a, a you know going to be a struggle with that medical model because as you know, time has shown once there's big money involved, like there becomes, um, you know, the reason to restrict. It's like when they have the money and the power from the pharmaceutical industry to actually change law and to actually influence the way people behave, uh, then they're going to abuse that just inherently because the power is there. So there are concerns around that in my mind. And one of the best ways to address that, that I can see is just, uh, teaching people to cultivate mushrooms and to keep pushing the decrim model, you know, and allow people to grow their own medicine. And if we see that microdosing is as or more effective than things like, you know, all these psych psych meds that people are on, it's like if you can just grow that yourself, whether or not you actually need it, if it's even just a transition to get off of like meds or, you know, I, I use microdoses, psilocybin microdosing, and it's like really helpful to me. I really appreciate the personal growth that I've been able to accomplish with that. But I know it's not for everyone, but at the same time, it's like neither are psych meds and they're pretty much prescribed to anybody who has an issue and goes to a doctor's office, it seems like. And so, yeah, like how do we really combat that? I think it's through empowerment of people. And yeah, it's really hard to grow 
um, peyote or even San Pedro takes a long time and ayahuasca for sure, but boga, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of these different substances and they're not all the same. I'm not trying to put them all in the same box and be like, Oh, they're, you know, same experience, same experience, but there's definitely wisdom to be had from all these experiences and to know that uh, psilocybin is so accessible. Um, I, I really look forward to see how the community models will maybe go up. I don't want to say to compete with, but to see, you know, just, where the market share goes, are people growing their own or is everybody buying the mushrooms or, you know, my, my goal is definitely to empower people to learn to cultivate. Yeah. Right on. I'm right there with you. I think that, I think that changes the whole paradigm, you know, in a way it's um, really, you know, it's when talking about a, a psychedelic society, I mean, it's not strictly to the substances, to the medicines, to the entheogens themselves, but to the sort of values that they inculcate in one and and a community. And when you're really going through the process of cultivating mushrooms and you're, you're working with it and you're every step of the way and your, your, your hands are in the soil, so to speak, you know, um, or in the manure or the grain, whatever you're using. Uh, but, but you're really becoming a part of this process, which is in, in of itself kind of, you're like, adopting a new lifestyle a new a new way of being and i I think that that kind of infuses into the psychedelic society way of of being as well because currently right now like the the panel that i was on there was a documentary and they were talking about like you know this kind of more medicalized uh, the medicalization kind of model and yeah like i agree with you danielle i think they can coexist and i think it can be helpful for people too uh i also kind of I don't know, not fear, but like worry that like, we're just going to remain stuck within like a kind of consumerist mindset of like, okay, well I go and I do a psychedelic or, Hey, like, it's fine. Like we can continue these wars overseas because we know how to treat people now for PTSD or, you know, stuff like that. It's like, well, what about getting back to the, to the root causes of a lot of these issues? And I think what Seth said, like empowering people to grow their own, to be a part of the process, you know, that, that leads to it. So, so that's a, yeah, maybe I'll just, it's not really a question, but kind of throw that out there if you guys have anything to add to, to that. Recently, there's this article that came out called Paula. Um, they call it Paula. And it talked about creating psychedelic models for business, not business models for psychedelics. Mm, excellent. Yeah, it's by the Orion Fund. Um, oh, cool. I definitely recommend people check that out. And it really talks about, you know, the future of, psychedelics and if we do go down this this path of capitalism and consumerism and what would happen and my hope is that the medicine will the medicines will speak through us and change the way we have a relationship with business and um, I'm hoping that we can create new models for how this will roll out and not replicate old models that don't work in the long end mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And I also have some feelings around it too. Like, um, I'm not trying to come from a defeatist attitude, but I'm very convinced that psychedelics won't be different than literally every other thing in our society. You know, I really think that they're going to go down a capitalist hole. You know, we're going to see that happen. And it's just a matter of like, what are we doing at the same time? As opposed to like, what are we doing to fight that? Like, I don't really at this moment in my life, feel confident to take on, you know, all the money in the world. Um, but I do want to build a healing community. That being yeah. said, you know, I think that while the capitalism is taking over, we can be building something much stronger. And I don't want to focus all my energy on a fight. 
you know, yeah. I want to focus on, focus on, you know, it's like, I've heard this, uh, I think I was listening to Gary V and he's like, there's two ways to have the biggest building in town. One is to build the biggest building and the other is to tear down everybody else's building, you know? So it's like, I'm going to just focus on building our own building right here or, you know, growing the biggest tree or whatever, you, want, you know, make it more organic. But yeah, that's basically my mindset is like, it's, it's coming, it's going to happen. And what are we doing at the same time to make sure that the message doesn't get totally watered down? How do we keep and hold that message? Yeah, totally. I think, and a lot of times when talking about these kind of bigger ideas on a societal or cultural global level you know people always want to know like what does the future hold like are we going to make it like is the planet going to die i mean you know i i, I don't I, I don't know but i think that when enough people out there that are doing things like starting organizations like yours and having uh, events and communities and teaching people how to grow and cultivate and having experiences that give them profound respect and compassion and open them up with empathy and awe and reverence for the magical beauty that surrounds us in every day the more that that happens, the more these little pockets are, are filling up. And you see that now, I think, uh, what was it, 100 cities are, are trying to um, motion for decriminalization. Uh, and, you know, that it's just like biomimicry of the mycelial network, like coming out and working through us in a way uh, is, is that's kind of the way that I like to phrase it. So maybe it's not going to be like one totality of an experience for all humanity, but we'll see kind of fragmented bubbles and pockets where we're building something that isn't necessarily fighting that existing, you know, like uh, this Buckminster Fuller quote that I really love where he says, you never change something by fighting the existing reality. You change something by building a, a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And I like that because it's like, it's, it's sort of saying like, Hey, we're going to do our thing over here and you guys are welcome to join. We send out an invitation. All are welcomed uh, to, to come. Uh, but we're not necessarily trying to, because like you said, Seth, like we're not going to be able to fight all the money in the world. All the money in the world has all the guns in the world. And, you know, so that we're not going to be able to fight that, you know? Um, so yeah, what are, are, what are some things that you guys, I think you alluded to before you brought up some stuff, uh, but in, in terms of like building new models that sort of, uh, are like little, little campfires for people to come around and say, Hey, this is a new, this is a new party. This is a new game. You guys want to sit down through the, the San Francisco Psychedelic Society. I'm sure you meet tons of people that are starting their own things or have their own kinds of ceremonies. I'm, I'm wondering about that too. Like, is it because of the decriminalization now, are there now a, a once below ground uh, ceremonies and uh, things like that happening now above ground? Like, how is that, how is that playing out? Um, we are seeing people boldly post on meetup that they are facilitating ayahuasca ceremonies. Uh, I am seeing people, you know, do ayahuasca and bufo and San Pedro and combo all in one weekend that they're promoting. And that I feel fearful around that, that people are kind of getting poly drugged in one sitting and without proper integration. Um, it's still, you know, it's the lowest priority for the police. So it's still not technically legal. To have a ceremony above ground, I don't think um, it's not. No, um, I I've come to think that we're going to see the movement of plant medicine maybe similar to how yoga kind of migrated. Like now, there's like hot yoga and Wu Tang yoga and hip hop yoga. We might see that with plant medicine. Maybe someday there's going to be new iterations of an indigenous ceremony, and I do hope that. A lot of the wisdom and teachings are 
um, still in, in sustained within that. Um, I would like to see sort of like microdosing with yoga happen and um, meditation with ketamine, um, meditation with psilocybin. Um, I'm, I definitely think that we're going to see new iterations of all those things happen. Some models that I would like to see happen is more peer-to-peer facilitation. I have a lot of respect for what MAPS is doing, you know, having two therapists at one time and that protocol and these ketamine clinics, you know, having to go to a doctor to get administered ketamine. But I think that people should be able to empower to sit for each other and really be their own healers. So I'd like to see more peer-to-peer facilitation. All right, nice. And uh, yeah, for me, you know, there's a lot to say about this, but in terms of like how I want to organize the group and my mind in the future, it's like, um, it's not a new concept, but it's a really old concept. I think it's just like holding space. Um, how do we get, how do we become masters of holding space? Because I think that that's like the root of empowerment and allowing people from our community to facilitate, um, different like kind of workshops or to, you know, what's their workshop to bring their skills to our community and then to help empower people to build like their own, you know, their own following, their own growth. And, you know, how do we really like, you know, cause if what we are essentially is a pulse of events of gatherings, we're a pulse of gatherings that comes together, like, and it beats people have come. And, you know, so we can't really sustain, you know, we can't do 20 or 30 events a month by ourselves. And that is where we see ourselves going is like having an event like every day. And uh, so how do we bring those people to the fold and how do we really make sure that it's all accessible and that it really like is good for the facilitators. And as time goes on, like how do we empower more people to hold space for more people and just to really teach that skill? Because I think that that's where healing happens when people can have a space to express themselves, to be themselves and to just share what's going on because then they can become more aware of their own experience. And then that awareness transcends and it it goes beyond them to the people around them. Right. Yeah, totally. And, and I remember when I first started, you know, getting turned on to psychedelic communities and events and, um, I kind of, you know, just thought, well, okay, yeah, I'm in, I'm going to go and and everybody is just going to get it. Everybody's going to be on the same page. Every everybody's going to be love and light and openness and vulnerability <laughs> and it's just all going to it's all going to be there. You know, we're all going to just be it's is perfect. This is like we're going to make a utopia. But obviously, there's people out there that are not practicing, you know, they're not good practitioners. They might not have good intentions. Their spaces may not be safe. They may be doing things that are inappropriate. Um, and then there's, you know, then you get also kind of like the the crazy, you know, people who are all spun out and they are proclaiming that they're God. You know, they're stand- there's some some guy uh, at a meeting the other night, like was like, I've seen the light. I'm God. I've smoked DMT 50 times. Like, I just want to tell you guys, I wrote it down in this PDF. It's all right. Here. Like, and it was really, it was like, yeah, I mean, like, do you guys get these, these kinds of people showing up? And it, it, it hasn't happened yet. Not that, oh, I haven't seen Okay. That. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, yeah we get I mean, we get all sorts man i mean you know everybody right yeah 
Um, but in terms, I mean, what we do get is like the Q and A at our events is often overtaken by people with that need to express their life story. You right. Know? It's like, do, do you have a question, lady? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. We're definitely seeing a lot of, at least from the groups I'm doing, a lot of therapeutic use. Um, people that are seeking psychedelics for the healing and therapy and personal growth, spiritual development. And, and Danielle, you were talking about the, um, you know, therapeutic use, which, you know, is, I mean, that's, that's the way, the way that I uh, practice my psychedelic use is uh, very much similar to a therapeutic model. Although I, you know, really run it in a ceremonial way. I think, you know, my experience of living in Peru and, and working in an ayahuasca center helped inform me of, of the, the practices that I want to embody and, and things like that. Um, so yeah, and that, that leads me to, well, I guess I would like to know about maybe your guys, um, or yeah, your, your practices. And, uh, and if you, if you'd like to share that, but, uh, but also I would, I was getting to like, you know, how to sort of, um, police the environment so that the, we, you know, that the right people are, and I hate to use the word police, but like, you know, this is definitely a theme that's, that's come up. And oftentimes, sometimes I'll see on social media, like, Hey, just, you know, be aware that there's someone out there that's maybe some sketchy or whatever, or something like that. So, um, yeah, if you guys feel comfortable maybe sharing a little bit of how you practice uh, your own practices, and then, you know, talking a little bit about some of the, the safety that in the, and how we go about kind of maintaining uh, the right people and uh, a healthy uh, use with intention and, and purpose. Um, so that's two big questions. So I'll, I'll try it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry, I, I could have split them up, but yeah, my mind. Up, but anyway, like maybe we'll, I'll jump back and forth. And But for me, I pretty much exclusively work with mushrooms. I mean, I've, I've dabbled with, uh, you know, some other you know, different plant teachers and whatnot, but uh, I really always go back to mushrooms and it's been really healing. And I've, I've been working with them for about 10 years. And at first uh, it was always hiking with like eat an eighth of mushrooms and go hiking. And that was really awesome when I was younger. I mean, it's still, it's always awesome. <laughs> but yeah, like, yeah. What, what it did for me back then was just like kind of, uh, it helped a lot with that loneliness, that sense of disconnection and just feeling like held by the earth and like feeling feeling yeah being out there with friends and just really feeling like complete in a, in a big way and uh you know that's been an ongoing practice uh not as much over the past couple of years i've kind of like sunken more into a space of like meditation with like lower doses around two grams more recently um and that's really provided a lot of like great insight for myself and kind of just like super easy to integrate things. It's almost like a cheat code for life. It's like, what's the thing I really need to know right now? And it just like, feels like it gets whispered in my ear. I'm like, all right, cool. Thank you, mushrooms. <laughs> but yeah, I've had some really, you know, great experiences in different ways. I think also like with the nature connection, I've had some really like seemingly like superhuman kind of experiences. I felt where like, either like crazy endurance, like running up a mountain with a friend or like swimming in the ocean in the winter for like way too long and just being like primally like, like energized, just like, where is this coming from, you know, and just having a number of experiences that kind of break my perception of like how the world works. Like I've had like a psychic connection with a couple of different people at long distances and close and like, you know, coincidences perhaps, but very, uh, 
you know, very compelling experiences. So I'm like really in search of those kind of edge moments as well as the very practical, like easy to integrate wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. What about for you, Danielle? Um, I identify as a bit of a psychonaut and um, I've still been recovering from getting off all those psychiatric drugs. So I've predominantly a lot of the work I've been doing with psychedelics is to heal the withdrawal I've been feeling and really getting my brain back to some state of normal. Um, so I've been working a lot with ayahuasca over the past two and a half years. Uh, for a while, I was going to about a ceremony a month and really healing the withdrawal syndrome that I was experiencing. Uh, I was also microdosing with psilocybin for about eight months. And then I transitioned into microdosing with LSD and um, in between doing some ceremonies with 5-MeO-DMT Bufo, which I found incredibly helpful to really get to like Bufo just brings things to the surface, like what I have to work on. Um, same with ayahuasca, but ayahuasca has spoken more in metaphor and it's been kind of picking apart the metaphor and poems and translating them into what is the divine teachings that I'm receiving from that medicine. Right. And um, I'm recently feeling called to go try Ibogaine. Mm. So I'm thinking about um, fundraising to do that because it's not cheap. Right. Yeah. Um, anything I can do to heal my brain and my nervous system. Yeah. And, and do you, so you, you're, you're in, in the process, I would say maybe both of you guys are in the process. I think, I think maybe we're always in the process, right? Like I, someone asked me a question recently, they were like, how did you go from being someone that needed to be healed to being a healer? And I was like, well, I'm not a healer. <laughs> That's the first thing. And the other thing is I, I didn't, it's not a static location you know, from one location to the next, I feel like it's a continual thing. I feel like maybe sometimes I'm exemplifying qualities of being a, a, a voice that could be of, of healing. And sometimes I'm in complete despair and I need healing myself. So yeah, it's, it's not like necessarily, I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think that we go from, yeah. do we go from being a, you know, is there a, a place that we can kind of like rest our flag on top of the mountain and say, we made it, we're healed, we're totally healed. Oh, All right, this is a great theme. I love this. I've been talking about this with people lately, so I'm really glad that we're talking about it right now. Cool. And I actually tried it earlier this year. I was like, <laughs> all right, I'm healed, and I'm now I'm growing. And now I'm focused on growth. Right, you right. Know? The wound is closed, and uh, you know what? That wasn't true. Turns out I still got some uh, deep, dark shit to dig up. And, uh, and I think that that's it's like elusive. Like you're saying, it's like, yeah, one day you're solid and you're really good. But it, you know, I did it intentionally as an experiment to be like, okay, what happens if I start speaking this way, you know, but I really do want to believe that healing doesn't have to be a lifelong process that we can hit. You know, I think it's just a personal decision and maybe it's a spectrum in and of itself, but like where we switch to growth where it's like, okay, the healing is done. Like the wound is, is, you know, it's as healed as it's going to get. No reason to focus on that as much anymore. Now, what has the wound taught me and what can I do with that externally and how can I continue to grow? And because I don't think that we should ever stop growing, you know, and I think that people refer to healing as personal growth. So like, what is the, what are those next steps is a great question. And how do we identify the difference before and after and whatnot? Mm, yeah. And I think 
it's important, at least for healers, if you if a person does get into the space of being a healer, that they have done their own work um, and able to really be able to be present for others. Like I've found myself in a healing role and um, recently I feel like some stuff's coming to the surface and I've taken a step back from being that healer while I do my own works because I'm not able to be fully present for other people if I'm in a struggling time of my life. Um, so just really knowing how to navigate through any type of discomfort and struggle and being able to be present for others while you're still healing or growing. I'm glad you said that, Danielle, because like knowing when to be that or like when to present as like somebody that can be helpful and when to present as somebody that needs help is like so, so different. And if you're somebody that needs help and you're trying to help other people, you're probably not going to, you might hurt them more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Also, if anyone ever tells me that they're a healer, like right or off the shaman. bat or a shaman, I just don't trust them. <laughs> like, yeah. That's like a red flag for me. It's like, Hey, my name's Steve and I'm a shaman. It's like, all right, <laughs> you've been categorized. Yeah, it is. I've, I, yeah, I've thought about that quite a bit. It's, it's interesting to sort of, yeah, kind of like proclaim yourself to be that that thing. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Even if you're doing, maybe you're doing good work, but, uh, there's, there's something that strikes me as egoic about it, you know, like it's something that strikes me. And I, and I think that there is, there is a tendency for people in this space. Like I was talking about before about how, like, I thought it was going to be everybody on the same page, all love and we're all connected and everything. And it's like, well, there's a lot of that and that's great. And that's awesome. And we're doing that right now. We're connecting and we're, you know, and it feels good. But there's also, you know, these, yeah, there's these dangers that you have to watch out for, you know, of uh, spiritual bypassing and spiritual materialism and psychedelic grandiosity and, you know, delusions and, um, you know, that ego starts to come up and all of a sudden you're in a powerful position. You know, we've seen this play out. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with like the documentaries that have been on Netflix about like Osho and, you know... um, what is the other one? Bikram and, you know, these, these kinds of things. So yeah, it's like, well, how do we, how do we navigate that space of like, I mean, I guess it kind of all comes down to like our individual ability to trust people, but a lot of people are also entering the space vulnerable and looking for help and they're desperate. And someone comes along and says, I'm Steve the shaman and I'm going to heal you come to my compound and we're going to, you know, drink a cocktail of, of medicines and and theogens and I'm going to show you the way. So yeah, like what, what does that look like to you guys in terms of like navigating that space? I know it's kind of, it's nuanced, it's tricky, but how does that, how do we go about kind of like making sure that we're not, you know, getting maybe the wrong kind of, uh, healer or healing? Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing this up because this has been something that we're sort of struggling with as the psychedelic society and a big part of decriminalized nature is how do we sort of self-regulate our community and hold people accountable? Like, as I mentioned before, people are hosting these week-long retreats where they're doing Aya, Bufo, Combo, San Pedro, who knows else what in one weekend. And the people are coming out of that completely disintegrated, reporting bad things about the facilitators. And we don't know what to do. Like we, we want to be able to, you know, we're helping these people integrate their experiences and, Um, What we're trying to focus on right now is uh, coming out with education around 
empowering people to choose their facilitators and know what types of questions they should ask their facilitators, um, interviewing them before they sit with them. Mm. I think people just don't really know what to ask or what they should, what's right or what's wrong or what they should be mindful of. So, um, in, in addition to, uh, teaching people how to prepare, we're going to teach people how to choose their own facilitators, um, to not mix these medicines in one weekend or specific medicines in one weekend and just be kind of mindful of, uh, shady facilitators and, Hopefully someday we'll be able to sort of have like a council of people that people can come to and report any issues that are happening. I don't know exactly how we're going to handle that within our community, but I think that is our responsibility to be able to self-regulate. Mm-hmm. Well, just to play off that one interesting thing that kind of like spurred a lot of this conversation was that somebody, well, and it's not the only time, but we've, we've had a number of people come to us and, and report to us, you know, it's like, we've been running the psychedelic society for two years. And before that, we're basically relative nobodies, you know? And, uh, I mean, not to speak of like importance or anything, but just that people come to us, like we're supposed to know, and like, we're supposed to be the ones that can like make this better or worse. But with this one experience, this woman had a really, really traumatic experience. And she told us this horror story. It was like a five-page essay, practically. And then we reached out to some other people. We actually, through a friend of a friend, there was a connection to like somebody else that was there. And they were like, yeah, it was like a pretty normal ceremony. The facilitators did a pretty good job. I really appreciate their work. It's beautiful, like challenging for a couple people, but really beautiful ceremony. And it's like, whoa, shit. Like, what if we went with our first gut reaction? And we're like, these people are bad. You know, there's something wrong here. And like, how do you know, how do you know the truth when we're talking about altered states and we're talking about like places where, you know, consent and um, just like personal responsibility and the ability to advocate for yourself, like all become very challenged, you know, through, through consuming something that, you know, puts you out of your mind. Yeah, it leaves you in a really open and raw and vulnerable space where you could be susceptible to, you know, a lot, a lot of, you know, bad things potentially. But, but yeah, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's like, how do we, how do we go about navigating that? But I think, Danielle, what you said was pretty cool because it's like, just everything kind of comes down to education. You know, if you, if you kind of know what to look out for and what to ask and, um, you know, at the end of the day, you have to see if that, like how that feels for you. Um, and I, you know, I always think if it doesn't, if you're feeling like it's maybe not right, then maybe you're, maybe you're right about that, you know? Um, so yeah, having that information as to like what to look for and, and what to ask is, is fantastic. Um, what, about, what are you guys like? So a lot, a lot of a topic or a lot of a discussion has been also around like access you know, people that maybe are outside of this sphere that we're, that we're in, that we're so familiar with and that we're used to, and that, you know, we have friends that uh, have retreats or do ceremonies or, you know, it's, it's easy. You know, this woman stood up at the panel the other night, uh, you know, I was talking about access and, and she's like, well, I disagree. You know, I can get mushrooms. It's really easily, you know, that, to get mushrooms and, and I can get them whenever I want. But, you know, I, I was like, responded about like how you know there's there's certain people out there there's a lot of people out there that have tremendous trauma that psychedelics can be extremely healing for but this is just not in their reality tunnel like it's just not it hasn't come to them yet but that but it can and and it can be tremendously beneficial to them what are your thoughts on like expanding 
into areas where, you know, people might not know about these things and, and sort of um, inviting them or having a, I don't know, I, I don't know what the, the phrase that I want to use, but just, you know, how do we kind of like make sure that access is like affordable and available and that even people are aware that these kinds of things have the, the benefits they do? So since we're still like, we're totally talking about something that's underground and even in Oakland, like even though we're part of decrim and all that, we acknowledge it as largely symbolic and we're not, you know, we're not here to like be a hub for people to get medicine. Yeah. We're here to build community. And I think that there's something that's happening. You know, we kind of try to take advantage of people in a very specific way. <laughs> Sorry, Danielle, you'll understand in a sec. Um, but, and the way is that people are often desperate and they hear this word, this kind of like magical thinking around like being called and like, you know, oh, it's like my time. It's like, I need to find ayahuasca right now. And it's actually like often thinly veiled desperation. And that desperation leads them to find, the, to go with the first facilitator that they meet or to just ask anybody for, for drugs, you know, they're just looking, seeking des like with desperation. And, uh, you know, I think that what we want to do is when people come to us and they're like, you know, a lot of people come to our meetings for sure to, to source substances, but we like, we make it very clear that that's not, that that's not acceptable behavior basically during our meetings and all that. But if people are built, becoming a part of a community of trust and acknowledgement, like, you know, friendships and all these things, like those kinds of things become more accessible, I think, because you just know people in the world all of a sudden, you know, right. but it's not something that, you know, I'm not encouraging it, but it's like, I'm just aware that that's happening. And I would rather that like people are building powerful relationships first, same thing with if growing your own mushrooms, you know, I would rather that you grew your own mushrooms instead of commodifying them by buying them from somebody else. You know, I just think it's a more powerful experience. And I think that yeah. the whole um, process of access is, should be intentional. And I think that where we get it and building those stories around, um, you know, around our experience to getting to the experience is important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I like that what you see, you know, this kind of relates to what you were saying, too, about, you know, I mean, it's finding the others and, you know, bringing people together in community. I mean, that's what it's all about. And then, you know, you have these events and meetings and, and then it's the after uh, time. So, you know, this is something we were talking about with uh, the stuff that we're doing here in Denver. And it's like, well, you know, we have to, we have to still operate, you know, within the confines of of the law you you have to you have to tell people this is not a place to get drugs you have to tell people that this you know that that's what we have to do and you know but then the great thing about that is people show up and the community builds people make friends and they talk and there's this kind of voluntary spontaneous uh occurrence that happens and something will emerge from that so you, you can't you can't stop uh you know, empowered people who are curious and open and uh, looking forward to building relationships and community. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then to go back to one of your points earlier, like how do you kind of like, you know, have a check for, um, for your community? How do you kind of police your community? And, you know, one of the things that I kind of often mention as well, it's like, you don't, I don't know. And nobody else knows in this room if there's a, if there's an undercover cop here. Right. Like, good, point. Yeah, right? good point. Yeah. Good point. And so, Live in, live in the world where there could be, you know, don't get so comfortable that now you're telling everybody about illegal things that you do and, you know, reserve that for trusted relationships and those take time to build. And yeah, so we're kind of duping people when they come to us to, 
find a drug marketplace. All they, all we have to offer them is community and meaningful connection. Oh no, that's all you have to offer. Oh, bummer. <laughs> yeah. People are angry. They seriously are angry and it breaks my heart that we can't help them right now. But um, we're hoping that the decriminalization is, you know, a good next step. And we are seeing like our friends at Sage Institute just opened a low income ketamine clinic. Oh, great. Um, for people that can't afford regular $7,000 treatments of ketamine. So it's just fantastic that, you know, they're really focusing on equitable access. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super important. Yeah. Um, so this has been a pretty good conversation guys. I just want to say thanks. Thanks again. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some, I guess, well, you brought up drugs, right? Like you said, drugs. And, and you started talking about that. Some people get triggered when they hear that. They're like, well, you know, these are plant medicines and these are psychedelics. But, you know, really, I, I sort of like uh, agree with the like Hamilton Morris's, you know, way that he puts it where it's like, look, these are these are these are drugs. They're, they're chemicals, they're, you know, they're substances, they alter our consciousness, they, you know, we interact with them in a particular kind of way. And all drugs, no matter what they are, it's not necessarily about the substance particularly in and of itself in terms of like the, the, the law, the perception, the stigma, that kind of stuff. It's really about cognitive liberty. And, you know, that, that's something that I'm deeply passionate about. And, you know, Seth has talked about, uh, about empowering people and teaching them to grow and things like that. I'm wondering, like, what does that, what is, what does that mean to you when you hear that? Or do you agree or, or disagree with what I'm saying? And, you know, when, and what do you, how do you feel about cognitive liberty and, and, and what, what does that mean to you? I really resonate with cognitive liberty after coming from, you know, being indoctrinated into the cult of big pharma for 12 years and being told what drugs that I needed to put in my body. Um, you know, cognitive liberty is the freedom to choose what we put in our bodies, what information we put in, what drugs we put in, and um, just having the choice to do so and be our own healers. Nice. And for me, like when it comes to that difference between like drugs and plant medicines, it's like, okay, cool. Like if you want to choose the word plant medicines, cool. Like I know a guy on the, so on the corner, he sells this plant medicine called crack cocaine. And, uh, you know, other people that use methamphetamine, it's another plant medicine and another guy that uses <laughs> heroin, you know, and there's, you know, where do you want to draw your lines? Because you're telling me that these are plant medicines because they're good for you. And how do you know that the situation that these people are in, it's not like, you know, helping them. I understand that the ones that I just mentioned are the most problematic substances, but I just don't want to get into a place where it's like, well, these drugs are good. And these drugs are evil. And the people that use them are evil. And the people that use these drugs are divine beings, right. the grace of God. And it's like, I don't want that dogma around me. All right. And I don't want it in our community. And we're trying to really allow people to express themselves. And when you start to draw those boundaries around what's good and what's bad, that's a quick, that's a slippery slope to a church into some sort of like model that we're not in control of. You know, I just want to be accepting and I really want to just allow people to be who they are. Our founder died of an opiate overdose. You know, I think that that's one of the strongest like meta just messages for us to carry is that like, look, like drugs, plant teachers, whatever you want to call these psychoactive substances, like I don't care. But like, don't try to tell me that like some are good, some are bad. I think this is all about relationship, you know. 
And if we, if people are, you know, deep in addiction, I don't think it's necessarily because they're bad people. I think it's because they've had a challenged life, you know, otherwise they'd be making better decisions for themselves. And I was, I had a really bad relationship with cannabis, you know? Yeah. And I smoking too much cannabis all the time. So it's like, that was, if you want to get into that, then it was definitely a drug. Maybe the difference between drug and plant medicine is how you use it. I don't know. Like, but I think that people are using those terms. It's because they don't want to be associated with drugs. And I think that that's, uh, it's, it's a taboo and I'm not here because, uh, I think that taboos should exist. You know, I'm here because I'm like trying to shine the light of consciousness on taboos. Mm, excellent. Yeah, totally. The light of consciousness, like, okay, so there's, it seems like there's like a separation, but there really isn't, uh, in terms of like maybe people who are spiritual and they're meditators and breathwork practitioners and they don't really do psychedelics. But, the but for me, I mean, I found a tremendous, uh, you know, integration of those two worlds. And I'm sure you, you guys probably relate to this too, but, uh, that, that, yeah, it's like the, the light of consciousness, as you, as you said, and, you know, on, on, you guys talk about being devoted to the exploration of, of expand of the expansion of consciousness. Right. So, uh, there's, there's a lot of different like thoughts and feelings as to like what that is and how one gets there and all these kinds of things. As far as I'm concerned, if you're, if you're aligned with your true intention that you're, you're doing it right. Um, so yeah, the, the, how does the, the role of like the spiritual, I guess, to, for, I wish there was a better word to use. Maybe you guys have a better word, but, um, cause I feel like that word's kind of like loaded, like, oh, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I, I have my yoga practices and things like that. Uh, but yeah, what, cause I, I think for me, uh, my use is very spiritual and I, or maybe it's a, a use that, that, uh, that, that, springs about a sense of deep uh interbeing and connection and uh communion with all of life and reality so if you want to call that spiritual i guess uh do you see like a like a distinction or is it all you know how, how does that kind of fit into your worldview in terms of psychedelics and spirituality um i, I have some thoughts around this like for me, spirituality, like it just gets back to that conversation of like healing, growth. Like if you're kind of coming up against the boundary of who you are now, and you just want to push that a little bit and, you know, experience, you know, growth. I think that that's spiritual. You know, I think that like is it is like a tree that's growing spiritual, you know, like just watching it grow. Like, OK, cool. It's like branches are expanding out. It's foliage is coming in. It's doing its whole process, you know, and I try to like, you know, I'm, I'm really tall. So I've been called a tree a lot in my life and I've come to identify as a tree. <laughs> so I really like this metaphor of like watching a plant grow or watching a tree grow because it's like I think that's spiritual. It's about its expansion, its growth and what it does to give back to its community. You know, it's, it's just doing its normal process. It's making itself happy. But at the same time, it's providing shade for the understory. You know, it's bringing water and nutrients and cycling nutrients in the ecosystem. It's providing, you know, it's doing a lot of services. I could really get into it, but then there's things that challenge trees. You know, is it, does it have light from the sun? Is it connected through the mycelial network to other mother trees in the forest that can help it grow? You know, is it getting enough water? All those things are important questions around the growth of the tree. And I think that like community is like, you know, where those different things come in as people. But, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's such a broad statement. I try not to like really have it, you know, what is like try try to draw like a clear line. Even if I think somebody's wrong about the way they're living their life, like they could really be growing. You know, and, and when I say I think they're wrong, I just mean my experience where I'm like, oh, God, that, that's toxic or whatever. It doesn't mean that it's really it is. It's just my right. perspective of their perhaps spiritual growth. And I think it's all about perspective, but I'm open. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I also think that a lot of these entheogens can produce, you know, faith in people. Like, for mm. the, you know, for the first time, people are having faith that they can recover from addiction and recover from depression and uh had you know my after my second ayahuasca ceremony i believed in god and spirit for the first time in my life i had never felt that connection before and it really it saved me from not wanting to commit suicide that i for the first time felt like i was supported by the universe and i wasn't alone um so i think there's kind of levels to the spirituality and some people have called our meetings church and that this is like their spiritual church community and just um, being a place that people can feel that they, they aren't alone and they have faith and connection is, um, is spiritual. Yeah. Wow. Very well said, both of you. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. And, and I was thinking, as you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, maybe it's more not, um, maybe a, another good word to use is sacred. You know, just what, what do we consider sacred? Uh, and maybe, you know, we're heading to, to wrapping up. Maybe I'll, you know, throw that out to you guys, like in, in terms of, you know, sometimes I like to ask these kind of like real, I always like to ask big questions. I always like to ask big convoluted rambling questions. So thank you for, like, you know, like hanging with me on this. Uh, but, but, uh, but I like to maybe like, you know, towards the end, like ask people like their kind of big vision, you know, in terms of like what they would like to see be manifest into this reality. Like what, what is your ideal version of, uh, the world that we're living in. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's massive, right. But, um, I think getting in touch with the sacred, so maybe I'll augment the question, just say, what is, what is sacred? What is really sacred to, to you, to, to you, Danielle, and to Yusef? Um, I don't know. Like, that's such a weird thing. It's like, uh, I can I read this, uh, I read a lot of this guy's writing. His name's Charles Eisenstein. And oh yeah, I'm I'm obsessed with him right now. I, yeah. I had him on the show about a month ago, and I've been reading. I read two and a half of his books. I'm I'm halfway through Sacred Economics. Yeah. Okay, so Sacred Economics totally shifted my perspective, not just on economy, but like life. And he talks a lot about sacred in that book, and in comparison to the profane, because like that's it. You know, it's it is it's like extremist like that to say something is sacred. You know, you're like saying something pretty profound. You're like, this is sacred. But then the issue comes in when your ego is the one that decides what is sacred and what is profane. Mm. That's a huge issue. So I would rather, I, I like to keep in perspective that, you know, it's either all sacred or it's not. And right. I'm not trying to sit here deciding what is and what isn't sacred. And I think that that's just honestly rude. I think that that's rude to do that. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I think it's all sacred. Well, that, that answer was sacred. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just all sacred. And are you aware of it is the question. Ah, uh, yes. Very good. Nice. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just to piggyback off that, I, I've really come to believe that everything is sacred. And with that comes respect and reverence and gratitude. 
And the, something I'm working on right now is just really having gratitude for the growth, for the healing, for the pain, for the struggle, for the moments, for the connection, friendship, opportunity. It's all sacred, and I'm grateful. And I also want to piggyback off that and say that, like, it's easy to challenge what I just said and say, like, well, what about, like, children being sold into sex slavery or some equally horrible thing? How can you say that's sacred? And it's like, I really couldn't say that with a straight face and be like, yeah, that's sacred. No, that's it's horrible. But I don't understand. The, the point is that I don't understand. You know, mm. I don't understand the world we live in. I don't understand nature. I don't, I'm not supposed to understand it. I'm just a speck of dust. And like to, for me to just start going around saying, you know, I don't want it to like, in an example, like I just made, it's easy to be like, one thing's right, one thing's wrong. But like when it really comes down to the minutia of life, like all of these experiences are built on mountains of other experiences. And I just, I'm not going to pretend like I understand. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's all sacred and, and your time has been sacred. This podcast has been sacred. Thank you so much. <laughs> Mike, you're so I, sacred. Sacred Mike. <laughs> sacred Mike. Sacred Adelic from now on. <laughs> one I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one more out there. It just it just occurred to me. I don't know. We'll we'll play play with me if you will. I was just wondering, uh Seth and Danielle, what what would you say if someone asked you about the other? Who's, hey, Danielle, who's this guy, Seth? What does he do? What's he all about? What's he like? And same question for you, Seth. Do you guys want to play this play this game with me? <laughs> oh, this is a high stakes game, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> What's in it for us? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe some Deeper sacred, sacredness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you want to go, Danielle? You want to judge me? <laughs> the judgment zone, the closing, <laughs> closing segment. Yeah, I'm getting all O'Reilly here. <laughs> Seth is the epitome of joy. He is so joyful and brings so much joy and happiness to our team, myself, people around him. Like you just meet him. You can't not but feel joy. He (laughs) is committed to, he's like becoming the papa bear of our psychedelic society. And he keeps us safe and really looks out for all of us. And cares so much about the organization and I trust him fully and appreciate him so much. Wonderful. Yeah, just give me a minute to wipe the tears off my cheeks. Um thank you, Danielle. It's heartwarming. Uh yeah, I would tell well, I wouldn't even say I would, like I do tell people <laughs> that uh Danielle is a, a fierce warrior that is like unrelenting and she's a force of nature but more than that she's just like really committed she's been through some shit and she's she's seen the darkness and she's like working really hard to be in the light and uh she really just doesn't stop and it's amazing to see her growth and over the past two years like you know i mean it's 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 never i've never had this experience in my life where i've been able to watch a person grow so quickly to see a person go from you know, really like, like eyes down under shoes to like leading the society and being just like so inspirational to myself. It would just, 
we were just at a talk the other night where she was one of three speakers and probably the newest to public speaking. And out of three people, she got the standing ovation and like everybody in the room was so stoked. And I, yeah, I just couldn't be more thankful to have a partner in crime with the society that is just like, uh, I think we, yeah, there's a good synergy really keep each other going. And so thanks a lot, Danielle. And it's easy to speak well of you. Yeah, it sounds like you guys got a real family there. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll see, I'll be on Instagram and I'll see the posts coming up and your smiling faces and the community there and all the events that you're doing. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's really fantastic. Now, I guess maybe one more would be, what would you say to all the people that have come to your events and that attend and the familiar faces that you see all the time? What would you say about them or to them and also to people that are maybe listening that haven't ever been? I actually have a lot of listeners in California. So what would, what would you say to them? Maybe they want to come to a, to a meeting. Welcome to the psychedelic society. (laughs) Please come join our community. We're rolling out a membership model in the new year. And our intention behind that is really to build a web of reciprocity and commitment. So people can continue to come back and be a part of our family and, find their home within our society um if you're new to psychedelics if you've been working with psychedelics for a long time come join us we want to meet you we want to find out what your gifts are if you would like to volunteer with us we are always looking for more volunteers and helps help with putting up chairs or we're looking for a treasurer we're looking for more social media help and we're looking for a videographer someone to help us with taking pictures we're we're open and um we we just want to empower people in our community to really be able to step up into leadership roles as well like we've had the opportunity to do and that starts with you know just um doing the the dirty work that we continue to do putting away chairs sweeping floors and um building this from the ground up hell yeah yeah, we're really excited just to help you, help us, help you, help us, help you, help us, help you, and, you know, and on and on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The mycelial web, get that connection going. You know, the be- the best the best uh, magic comes from shit. So uh, we're all going through it. Everyone is. We're not alone. We're all we're all the same. You know, our, our human experiences. Uh, oftentimes we feel like, you know, maybe we don't want to come out. We don't want to join. But just do it because you're going to find so much uh, joy and uh, connection there. So, Daniel, uh, uh, Danielle, Seth, thank you so much for being on the show. Tell people where they can go to, to find you and follow you. Well, thank you, Mike, for this opportunity. And we really hope to meet you someday in the future. Yes. And totally feeling like we're on the same vibration. Um, the way people can find us, our website, psychedelicsocietysf.org. Our email is sfpsychedelicsociety at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, meetup, at psychedelics, on Instagram, psychedelicsocietysf. And um, we have a Facebook group, San Francisco Psychedelic Society. We're on most of them. Um, yeah, we're not on Twitter and we're not on TikTok. <laughs> so other than that very accessible cool well you heard it here guys go find them go find the others and uh get some stickers too because they're really cool i got one on my water bottle so <laughs> um excellent till next time peace thanks, thanks mike 
Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you did, go and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a five-star rating and a review if you feel like writing something. Uh, that would be great. It helps the show a lot. helps us bump us up in the uh, Apple algorithm, get the podcast exposed to more people. So if you like the show, go ahead and do that. If you want to go a step further, go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. You can donate, become a patron, be a part of the Mikeadelic Inner Sanctum WhatsApp chat group of people chatting and connecting all around the world. We're finding the others, bringing them together, creating community. One of my favorite things to offer. I also released bonus episodes. Sometimes I do episodes that are kind of raw and kind of beta test them for the producers of the show, which are my patrons, the people who support the show. Big shout out to everybody that's a patron. Thank you for your love and support. If you want to do a one-time donation, go to my website, mikebrank.com. Go to PayPal and do a one-time donation if you feel that. And uh, I really like the method of donation. It's a, it's a gifting mentality. And reading Charles Eisenstein's books recently and his talks have really kind of made me embrace the spirit of the gift of giving and gifting and what better time than this holiday season to be generous and to give and you know if you like the show just tell tell people about it spread it share it also contact me go to my email uh, on my website the contact page mikebrank.com reach me on instagram mikeadelic underscore podcast hit me up on facebook send me your messages send me your thoughts send me guest suggestions ideas share your story with me reach out, give me feedback. What do you like? What don't you like? And uh, I love to hear from people. I always respond. So uh, you can go ahead and do that. If you're interested in CBD, we have Hemp Bombs as a sponsor. You can go to hempbombs.com, get all kinds of CBD stuff. And um, I used to take their their gummies. I think I'm going to start taking them again. I ran out, so I got to get some more. But uh, they're really good. And um, yeah, check it out. If you're interested in CBD, you want to give it a try, put in the code Mike15 at checkout and get 15% off all of your CBD wants, desires, needs, and so forth. Big shout out to Danny Barnett and Galaxia for the music, the intro and the outro. And uh, of course, thanks to Muse, who uh, I mash up their song and put the Terrence McKenna clips and everything in without their permission, but somehow I'm still able to do it. So thanks, because I love that. And uh, what else? I don't know. Thank you so much to everybody for your love and support, for listening. And yeah, I really, uh, really, 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 really from the bottom of my heart really can't express how grateful I am that out of all the podcasts out there that you choose this one to listen to. And uh, yeah, uh, like I said, let's really make this a collaborative effort. If there's something that you hear that you notice, you know, something going on with the show that you're like, hey, you used to do this or you do that or I'd like to see this or hey, did you ever think about that? Shoot me a message. I'm open. I communicate. I message back. I like this to be a collaborative effort. I want more community involved in this. So anyway, thanks. And uh, till next time, peace.